We're probably going to open with totes dotes. Don't say totes dotes. I always do. Whenever <laughs> I, my brain always says it when I think oh, about I when I think about totally Dota. You, you, you tend totally to... Dota would have been <laughs> such a better podcast name than Dota today. <laughs> totally Dota is It's August 18th, 2016. This is Idle Thumbs 276. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Sean Vanneman. And I'm Jake Rodkin. Hey, Sean. Hey, guys. I'm here, and it hasn't been very recent that I have been here. <laughs> you were... Yeah. Welcome to it. Welcome. It's nice to be back on the podcast. Good to have for you. For a moment. I'm real glad Nick's not on this episode. Me too. I'd wow. be in a, I would go into a full rage. <laughs> I can't Holy look shit. at him without... Just flames. No, I, f- on, the on the side of your face. face. <laughs> Where else would, Where else would be? flames be? <laughs> For God's sake. I was I was actually really hoping that Nick would be on this podcast, because I know you spent this weekend in what seemed to be a state of like Jubilee. heightened, like disastrously yeah. heightened bliss at yeah. the International. It was so good. Watching men in sealed rooms. Boys. <laughs> Cyber athletes. <laughs> Play Defense of the Ancients 2, it's not legally called not called Ancients. that in any way. This is called Dota. Dota 2. Oh, it was so good. Wow, I that sat was quite down. a, that was a, oh, that I, was a revealing No, sigh. I sat down at Key Arena and I looked at the screen on Wednesday morning or Thursday morning when I got in and I went, I am so happy to be here. This is the happiest place on earth. And then <laughs> how many, how many days did you spend in that room? In Thursday, the- Friday, Saturday. Okay. Friday, I went to Val for half a day to just say hi to people, and then I came back. And but then Saturday, when the finals were over at like nine o'clock at night, I was I was physically tired because it's actually really tiring to watch Dota, which is weird. But I was like, because you're like tensing up, or, or? it's it's just a, so much to hold in your head all the time. You get really um, uh, just exhausted. You get kind of tired. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's just. You were on like the edge of your seat or something, you know, right. like if you yeah, took yeah, like yeah, a yeah. SAT, you're like weirdly yeah. tired at the end of it. Like it's being like a that. long meeting or something. Yeah. Um, I was, I was just like, oh, it's but like the best meeting. I was so disappointed when it was over. Yeah. I was still just like, oh, I'm imagining you Sunday, as like, like, oh, I wish there was more TI. As like a kid with a Meepo hat and like you got one of those huge lollipops you get at Disneyland, but like, yeah, but like <laughs> died on her face. Yeah. But like, it's, it's like you're dragging it on the ground as someone is sort of pulling you by your shirt out of there crying because Disneyland is closed. Yeah, that was yeah. Like super tired, super big, happy, super sad. A big broom behind me, <laughs> pushing a bunch Gabe, of Dota. Gabe Newell <laughs> Gabe sweeping Newell out of there, sweeping a bunch of Dota confetti into a corner. It was awesome. Yeah, it was, th- just, it was by far the best of the ones I've ever been to. I've been to th- three of them. The the four per, of them. the the um, stills that I saw on Twitter from TI six this year mm-hmm. looked uh, from a production value standpoint like more than anything I've seen. Like, I mean, you, you've talked on previous podcasts about like going to pop rock concerts. Yeah. Uh, how does, how does the, because the international doesn't look like a sporting event. Like it doesn't look like yeah. boxing. Like what is, what is, what is, you know, in terms of the um, feel of it and the sort of quality value that was put into the production, the closest thing I can compare it to is like the Rose Bowl. Probably they did this amazing thing though. So there's key arena. You have to have a pass to get in, but then outside it's right near the space needle. So there's lots of like public space and they had two giant high definition screens in like giant picnic areas where you could like get picnic blankets and watch. Th- and, like, so you could, food you, could, you could sort of like squat at TI. They have like Anyone a public, they have, like that a public grounds. Well, yeah. oh, that's Crazy. really cool. And I mean, there was probably for the finals, 
Uh, Amir and I popped out during game two because we just needed to get some vitamin D. And there was probably a thousand people in the park. Wow. Laying out, picnicking, watching. How many people like were ticketed, you know, to a... About 15,000. You said 15, okay. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's pretty amazing because the production starts, they start broadcasting on Twitch at 10 and then it goes to whenever the games end. And some days the games ended at five and other days the games ended like on the last day at nine. Uh, But it's, it was just wall to wall broadcast with like no commercial breaks because they aren't going to yeah. cut to a sponsor. Right. And the quality. Because <laughs> the sponsor is hats. Is, is hats. <laughs> all the hats. Skins, bro. Yep. Lots of they skins. Didn't, they didn't like, they didn't air any of this on like ESPN3 or anything, did they? Like with know. Evo? I don't know. It's every I once in a while one of those things that, happens. Yeah. But you normally see on Twitter, like what's this? That's you right. you, you yeah, get yeah, the yeah, yeah. pocket I tweet from the guy that. who's from, like, get your sports jo- off my sports. Joke dad. Yeah. yeah. But, um. The quality of the br- of the actual um, on on screen talent has just gone through the roof. They have sort of a, a panel of four that's like back at the desk. They've really modeled. It was like people were like, "This is better than what NBC has done with the Olympics." Apparently, the Olympics have been garbage, but in terms of that stuff. But the panel of four on the desk, they have four four people they throw to who are sort of analyzing the draft. Then they have the two guys who are broadcasting the match, like the color and the and the play by play. Yeah, those guys do a great job. So good. Yeah. Um, they had a guy when they'd come back from a match who would like telestrate the three things that were like really like important about that match. And it's this guy, his kid's name is, his name's Kevin something, but Purge is what he goes by. And it was just stunning analysis. At one point, he stopped giving his analysis. He's like, and that's all, thanks. And like, back to you. And the stadium was really quiet. And then there was just sort of like <laughs> spotted clapping about how good it was. It was like, wow. oh my God. His analysis got slow clapped? His analysis, yeah, it was just like, oh, Purge is a genius. It was just stupid stuff. Like, So when you go to Lane with this type of regen, like, let me show you how, like, th- what they chose to bring to Lane at the beginning, like, health regeneration, completely determined the first 10 minutes of the game for the entire board. And you're like, how does your brain work like that? It was really impressive. Hmm. But uh, the matches were all good. There was a Cinderella story of, like, these guys who built a team of guys who all got kicked in some way or another, like, three days before the filing deadline, <laughs> and then, like, played their way through, like, the garbage Oh, the guys who got dropped off teams and stuff? Yeah, just sort of like a like orphans team that beat last year's champion, beat the best team from Asia, E-Home, just destroyed everyone in these really dynamic, really exciting matches. And How, then, when did they get eliminated? The finals. Oh, man, they, yeah. so they came in second? Or? Yeah, they came in second. Yeah, they lost to a Chinese team called The Wings Gaming. What's the, what's, to, do people call that team TWG, or do they have... Or they do, call them Wings. Okay. They call them Wings. They were a bunch of young kids, uh, I think be ages between like 17 and 23, from China. Um, and I'm looking up the Wings Gaming like boot camp rules. This is a uh, they're uh, they speak Mandarin, so this is translated. So apologies for the um, bad uh, translation. But Wings Gaming team rules: train six days every week. Smoking wine or bringing girls to their base is prohibited. Had <laughs> I heard that as smoking wine. <laughs> smoking comma wine or bringing girls to their base is prohibited. Had to sleep at eleven thirty p.m. No quarrels are allowed during practice. Nice. You aren't allowed to play other games. <laughs> Keep your group activity at uh, any tournament, which means they had to do like dinner and lunch always together. Uh-huh. All grooming must be done before 11 a.m. Be fully prepared what? to train at 11 a.m. <laughs> so good. Jesus. Yeah. 
and there was a big become like, millionaires. Yeah, well, like four <laughs> months ago, somebody was like, "You can't live like this," because that's when those rules came out. Like yeah. these guys are going to burn out of TI, and then they just destroyed everyone. Um, I mean, that sounds like just how professional StarCraft teams in Korea just work. Yeah, that just sounds like what they're you like. board in that boarding house yeah. as a professional a- yes. as a professional e athlete. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There and was you have a very regimented life. Yeah, they were. Well, the thing is, the people do burn out. I mean, after you know, a couple of years, anyway. It it was. It was the thing that was fun about this international is that um, it feels like all of the Asian teams, not just the Chinese teams, finally feel like they can just be themselves and like they have a place at the tournament. Like when they were interviewing the um, the champions at the end. Uh, they have a translator on stage, mm-hmm. so it's like question in English, Mandarin to Mandarin to English, and uh, when he, the guy of the ca- captain of the Wings Gaming would respond in Mandarin, like a third of the stadium would like laugh or clap, like could understand what he was saying. So it was like such it was Crazy. truly an international. Was that not tournament. the case in earlier ones? Was it way more focused on Western teams earlier? Yeah, it or wasn't something? so much focused on Western teams. I don't think th- um, the Asian fan base made the journey. Um, and mm. then furthermore, it seems it seems sort of like there were some cultural barriers that still needed to be broken down. Like the tournament maybe didn't make teams that had come from Asia and Southeast Asia like feel comfortable or, or something. They always kind of seemed really like nervous and bottled up on stage when they'd be interviewed, but that's like all gone. And it's really cool. That's to been, just a, pro- feel that's like been a, like a new, challenge yeah. in esports, I think for a long time. I feel like games. in Dota, it's going to be those days are behind us. Like the amount of just sort of silliness and personality you got from every team, that's whether cool. it was like TNC from the Philippines or MVP from Korea or uh, the wings from, uh, or e-home like right. both Chinese teams it would be interesting to f- hear if that if it would, would ever come out what has happened to make that change I mean other than just Dota 2 has been around for a year a few years the right. people are comfortable in the community like has Valve or specifically the organizers of TI actually done things gone out of their way to like to make that feel comfortable or to make it more accessible mm-hmm. to international audiences to attend or is it just like just the gravitational force of the international has pulled enough people into it now. I think it's a, all those things. Yeah. Also, this was the first year where they had the um, the four majors, the same way you'd have in tennis or golf. Oh, right. That's right. There, There's yeah. actual lead-up tournaments this year and not just like... Yeah. And you had to have a team sort of like built by a certain time to compete in them. So I feel like a lot of these teams were... Well, they were traveling a lot because the majors were in Frankfurt, um, Manila, uh, Shanghai and then TI in Seattle. So those are very, like four very different cities. Like teams were traveling all around the world and coming up against each other all the time. And they had the good to like the, the Shanghai tournament is like really poorly run. So they went sh- through a crappy, uh, a shittily run tournament. And then I think TI, everyone was sort of in agreement that it was just like perfectly run. Nobody was like burned out on too much Dota, um, which had happened in the past. Um, the accommodations were really nice. All the team suites were good. They really thinned the sort of like like VIP experience so teams could actually just rest in between matches without being sort of beset by fans um, and then moved a lot of that fan stuff down to more structured times. It just seemed like a really, really, really well-run tournament. It, it made me really stoked for... it. I no longer feel like Dota's going to be great one day. It actually just feels like, oh, this is just a thing now. It feels like this is run by adults for adults. There's no like, just like they don't say stupid like 
meme shit, you know? Like, they're not pandering <laughs> to, like, the Twitch chat audience, like, the people on camera. You mean, like, the commentators don't? Yeah, yeah. They don't, like, they rarely swear. Um, they don't, they're really, it feels really inclusive. Their language is, like, thoughtful. You know, like, there's sort of, like, coded language of esports that is really, like, kind of, like, disgusting and, I don't know, divisive. But it's basically none of that stuff is feels anywhere within like a thousand miles of the tournament. It's not in that tournament's orbit, which is great. It's fucking awesome. I'm, the language of the last twenty years of multiplayer gaming, you mean? Yes. <laughs> There's no yeah, which is um But the good. esports the esports version of it has this like aggressive veneer. This yeah. weird like, has like a competitive tinged veneer to it that makes it like cutting in a way that it's yeah. I don't know. It's it's I know what you mean. It's like yeah. very gross feeling and it's, weird. I mean there's it's there's a there's line between like shit talking. Also, there's yeah, a line between yeah. like shit talking and then sort of like the like <laughs> the darkest parts of like yes. Reddit and yeah. 4chan that sort of seep into it. By you know? beating you with this computer character, I am also sexually dominating you in an uncomfortable way yeah. for no reason. That does on feels, voice chat. I haven't <laughs> Yeah. Even you saying that feels like so yeah, no. Distant. I listened to a to bunch of we just had the now. international on in the office on a TV and I was actually able to follow some of what was happening just by listening to it, which has never happened before. Like, we talked about that on this show during TI4, I think, about just, like, my wish that I could even f- follow the ebb and flow of a Dota match by watching the International, and it happened this year, which is really it's cool. It's funny, by the way, last week, having our office manager had the Olympics on all day on her computer monitor, but the office television just had the International on all day long. <laughs> oh, yeah, so you could watch you could watch the Olympics on Aaron's computer with the commentary from the International and be very baffled. That's true. <laughs> also, the weightlifter. Did you guys see this? It's like no. a woman weightlifter who, like, grabs the barbell, like, brings it to her chin, squats, gets it up over her head, and then drops it, and then did this, like, cute little, oh, like, little heart, heart shit. Yeah. And then people have been, like, doing Zarya, like, OCs <laughs> on... <laughs> Yeah, from Overwatch. I've yeah, been playing yeah. a lot of Overwatch. But yeah, the International was awesome. I'm sad that it's over, which is weird. Normally I'm so burned out by Dota at the end of it, but it was just so well run, and I miss it. It's over now. It'll be back. Congratulations to the Wings Gaming. Have from <laughs> from all of us at Idle Thumbs, congratulations, <laughs> the Wings Gaming. It was amazing. <laughs> they had just like uh, thousands of people in the stands who also had like really well-made signs like they had clearly handed them out to the China contingent like a, like a political convention yeah that said hover your wings which is just like <laughs> that's their like their like chant hover your wings wait really people chant that no but you know what I mean it's like hover your wings and they do like a little W a little okay, like okay yeah sure a little oh, whatever man, the little oh. wings hands yeah the wings crossed hands. thumbs wings yeah. hand yeah as uh, they call it hover your wings they're good yeah and then three guys had Bernie signs up in the deep back. Oh, that's cool. I'll I've, stay. I've I'll stay. To, I've been to two internationals, weirdly, but um, you went to the Benaroya ones. Yes, yeah, so I was before it moved those, to here. The, right now. Those were oh, people would ask, like, "Oh, did you ever go to the Benaroya TIs?" It's like, "Oh yeah, I was at Benaroya. What was it like?" <laughs> like, yeah, those were bygone. <laughs> yeah, those were, that was a, it's a symphony hall in Seattle. Yeah, it was a very classy affair. Um, cool. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so good. You want to take a break? Sure, let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by the fine folks at Warby Parker. Jake, do you know what Warby Parker is? I believe they make glasses and sunglasses. They do. But Mm -hmm. guess what? What? They're not super duper expensive. Oh, that's good. That's their their competitive (laughs) advantage is having stylish frames that come at a low price of $95, including lenses. 
crazy. That's pretty sweet. I had some blue ones, and I got them in the mail with four other pairs and selected them from the group of five, which is how you order Warby Parker's Dear Reader. You go to warbyparker.com slash thumbs, and there you can get a free home try-on kit. It's actually really cool, especially for sunglasses. Um, you don't have to get them prescription, but prescription sunglasses seem like a giant luxury. There's nothing better if you wear glasses than nice prescription sunglasses that just look like good sunglasses. And they yeah. have lots of selections there for you to try on at warbyparker.com. Slash thumbs. S- slash thumbs. Also, they're a buy one, give one organization. So if you slap some stylish shades on your face, there's going to be a little kid running around with matching stylish sh- shades, I assume. I assume it's the exact model that they give. Just smaller? Yeah. Yeah, I assume that it's like one to it, it, the way one to one they don't just help someone in need they make them look fly as fuck warbyparker.com slash thumbs Video games. you guys still sponsored by all nature box jacob we are in fact this very episode is brought to you by nature box nature box for those of you who don't know is a snack delivery service a snack subscription service you uh they just send a box full of really really delicious snacks to you once a month. It's a snack attack. It's a snack attack. We've talked up the, uh, the what are those, a Big Island Pineapple? Gotta love a Big Island Pineapple. They're real good. They've also got all sorts of crunchy and chewy or fruity snacks. Sweet, Sweets, savories, savory. something in between, something for the child, something for the man. It seems like every time we uh, pick out snacks for Nature Box, there's new stuff, which is really nice. It's like they're getting ideas from snacks from another dimension. They have so many snacks. <laughs> That's probably true. A very, a very well apportioned and taste, tasteful and delicious dimension. A natural dimension, <laughs> hence the nature. So if you're interested in this magical life that we all enjoy, where snacks arrive at your door once a month, go- Like the beginning of Dumbo. It's like the beginning of Dumbo. Except- Except The snack is dropping snacks, not little baby animals. Yeah, and they're coming from the internet, and it's, yeah, that you eat them. And it's them. usually a man in brown shorts, not a stork. <laughs> And they don't float down with little parachutes. There might be a stork. If you want the Nature Box stork animated by the Walt Disney Company to bring you snacks once a month, go to naturebox.com slash thumbs. And uh, if you use that URL, the first box is free. So you can try it out with very low risk and very high uh, deliciousness and possibly a cartoon stork. Video game. Although if you end up on the cartoon stork path, your mom might be put in a cage and c- cry on you and sing songs from the 1930s. So um, There's some fucked up stuff in Dumbo. I watched it there like <laughs> about a month ago. Dumbo, Dumbo's got some messed up stuff. You Big think time. it's all good with that happy train? No, the train's fucked it's up. Not, it's not good. It's not good. I don't like it. I don't know if it's worth sharing how despite how much I've heard about the game, how little I feel like I was prepared to know what I would have been purchasing at $60. Like you're going to have to unpack that sentence for me. Like, this I is s- No Man's Sky you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the office yesterday, but I felt like three or four times this week, I went, so wait, it's not multiplayer. It's not multiplayer, right? It's, it's online, it's but it's not, not multiplayer. It's definitely not multiplayer, yes. No, it's absolutely not. Right, but I feel like I had myself asking that to various people a few uh-huh. times. Because, like, you, because you I just maybe thought you saw evidence to the contrary? or or Yeah, and I think there is this sort of, a, I mean, I've played a lot of Daisy. I've games where you wander around where most of what you do is really sedate and being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the sort of like <gasps> moments are um, 
seeing another person. Right. And I had had this, heard this game. I, I thought that Sh- uh, Sean Murray had mentioned something about other people in the game. That was the funny thing is I never thought this game was multiplayer. I was always yeah. completely certain it was not. And then what's weird is that like two days ago, someone pointed out this Colbert clip from like a year ago yeah, where Sean, Sean Murray was on Colbert and he explicitly said, um, you know, well, because Colbert, it was, he, they arrived at this through a weird question, which is Colbert saying, oh, can you see yourself or something? I don't know what that's. I don't know what maybe he was asking, like, is it a third-person game or something? Oh, maybe that's what he meant. In that yeah. context, and maybe? Then, yeah, that, that could have been it. And then Sean Murray was like, uh, no, not unless someone else f- runs into you and describes your face to you. But the chances of that are likely, you know, because are unlikely because the universe is so big and the chances you'll run into another... But the fact that the chances can be low means that... The ga- yeah, like, it it's, be the classic, to- it's the classic Dumb and Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like it's meaningless to say the chances are low unless it's actually possible. Otherwise you Perfect. would just say, no, that just can't happen in our game. And that's the end of the answer. Yeah. Um, right. If the chances of anything in a video game are low, that means that they can happen, means which means that, that it will happen wrote code. on video. Yeah. It right. like somebody <laughs> wrote code to make it possible. It also happen. means it'll happen more than you think it will. Yeah. Because as a developer, like things that feel like they're very rare never end up being that rare once they're being played by a bajillion people and like for a ton of hours. I mean, you know, I, I mean, that was Sean Murray's tweets on the day the game came out where he was just like, I mean, we talked about that last week a little bit of just, wow, players of No Man's Sky have already identified more living species than there are on Earth. People have already right. run into each other on Twitch streams but haven't seen each other and like blah, blah, blah. Like Been on the same his, planet. Or yeah, his yeah. surprise that people had covered more of the galaxy than he thought more quickly is just like well that's what happens yeah. to the fixed if your game even if your game is procedurally generated the the possibility gamut that people will fill is bigger than you think it's going to be right off the bat right it's sure. hard i mean i do think like not to be over simplistic but if you, you're if you can name a planet something and then it's that name in someone else's game it's kind of a long walk for your average person who's buying a video game at the store to tell them that you can do that but you're never going to see the person who named it because it's impossible because it's not multiplayer. I think that that's a hard I walk, think that I think. summary right there is probably actually getting very close to the heart of why people have been confused about how No Man's Sky works. Yes. The the like, you're affecting the it's, metadata. It's hard to say. <laughs> we are we are all in isolated glassed off copies of the same universe but when anyone discovers anything in their universe everyone else's universes get updated that's not the way that a brain understands a, like space and time yeah. yeah i want to be clear that i think it's totally acceptable to make a game oh i do too true. i think that that's cool it working that way is cool and maybe honestly for me preferable right like i would rather play a game that is actually uh, well I, not just flatly, but in the case of a game like this where so much of it is just like you're just kind of puttering around on your own speed and like doing st- stuff and exploring things and like, I don't know, I'll probably just walk away for a bit and go get like a cup of tea or whatever. Like I would rather probably have it work it, have it work this way. But yeah, Jake, you're totally right that it's not necessarily intuitively sensible if you don't already know how this stuff kind of works in other games that are similar it's not intuitive that, that that's how it would work. Yeah. I don't know. It's a we- the, de- the developers of this game are in a weird position, right? Because part of the reason this game got rose to such a position of um, 
of like hype and anticipation so quickly is precisely because people saw in it something unique and new. And if the re and, but like, of course the other thing that comes with things being unique is that there aren't a lot of comparison points that lead you to know how you're going to react to them in reality because they're fairly unique right, and there then, aren't then lots of examples people's, of people's it. instinct so, like, is then to fill the holes in with things that they like or want right or even if they haven't done that it still doesn't necessarily mean the thing that it ends up being is a thing right. you're gonna like yeah like you know if something is uncommon and like not can't be like like a glowing hat for instance like a <laughs> if it's an a uncommon mythical... hat <laughs> <laughs> if a game is of a rare uncommon horrifying type or whatever the <laughs> fuck the halloween it's shit a, is if, if, if it's a gold immortal <laughs> The gold immortal video game, uh, pseudo multiplayer uh, meta universe has an announcement trailer at E3 that you weren't expecting. You don't know what it is for three years. Yeah, I mean, I, in a world, I mean, your game doesn't come out in a vacuum. You know, like No Man's Sky comes out in a world where things like Starbound exist. Space is a vacuum. That's a really great point, Chris. Yep. Um, I actually retract my statement. <laughs> Physically, I have been astrophysically, physically owned. <laughs> your uh, game does not come out in a vacuum because it comes out on Earth, which has an atmosphere. Your game comes out in space. Does anyone <laughs> hear you scream about its <laughs> about it not having seventy one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess the answer is no. I was sorry, Sean Murray's first mistake was I'm not sorry. releasing this game in space, so you couldn't hear the outcry of, <laughs> yeah. out, of outrage. Yeah, the problem is he released it on Earth, where there's a bunch of complainers <laughs> with the internet. <laughs> sorry, sorry, not to not to dismiss people. <laughs> no, no, I just think you have. I really, I feel like they. I don't know. It's like you have to kind of tell people what your game is in a way that's like. Not which is, the fact. You have to tell the, the story of like, your game and why about, it's better than the yeah. way, why it's best the way it is the way they made it. You actually do have to do that. It's like yeah. also though that's hard. Yeah, Especially, of I'm not saying that's fucking easy. No, I know. I just mean <laughs> like, yeah. for instance, working on Firewatch. That was a game that is like of much more limited scope than No Man's Sky, and it may not seem like How it would be you. hard to describe that game to people. No, Giant Bomb had a field. Is, Giant Bomb had a field really day for hard. years saying, "What is Firewatch?" Yeah. And even then, like as as like as a joke about how indescribable, even the simple game yeah, that we were which making isn't was. to say that it's like a crazy unimaginable game it's not it's just yeah. that it's like it is actually hard to nail down exactly like how do you describe this in a way that is going to not let people end up being inadvertently like self-deceiving about yeah. what it is and with a game like no man's sky they probably i wouldn't even be surprised at all if at the point at which son murray was on colbert he was literally working on a different game than the one that was shipped because that game is so you know the game was classic situation of starting with like a small basically skunkworks team at hello games like making some crazy prototype and then eventually it ballooned into this like huge sony second party like tentpole basically that they that you know is a huge part of their strategy for 2016 one it's evidently and uh by the time that thing shipped i'm almost certain they were making a different game than they thought they were four years ago or whenever it was they started on it. And so, of course, like, the way they've described it is going to change. And, I, you know, and again, I'm not trying to, like, disagree that you have to find that way to just describe your game. You totally do. This is just a situation where it feels like the factors involved made it inevitable yes. that both the people making the game and the people playing the game were going to be on different pages, at least in some quantity. 
on right. each side and like it's hard. games are weird like that thinking about multiplayer in in no man's sky like just even going back to when they first sort of announced you can you know it's a big ass galaxy that you can explore classic ass galaxy it's a classic ass galaxy uh the, the the sort of multiplayer that I always envisioned in my mind as sort of as the ideal cool multiplayer would be something like Journey, where you're you don't necessarily. So I was going to bring that up, right? Know. So I, I've been thinking about this over the course of this conversation, but like the uh, and it's it's made me question my own thoughts because I realized that I'd been thinking about it in the sort of dreamscape I'm a fan version. Like in Journey, you know, you're wandering through this epic quest, and then you you know you'll sort of go into a tunnel in a mountain and pop out into a big huge valley and there's another guy there like cuz the game has right. brought a multiplayer another multiplayer player into your game and you sort of passively experience the world with this guy and then you, another, you he's like another traveler yeah another traveler the and then you eventually sort of break paths cuz you mm-hmm. have different stories and that that person just falls away and they're not in your story anymore yeah. and picturing that in no man's sky is like it's an amazing mental image or the idea of being able to like bring your buddy in and co-op right. but the thing that i realized the verb set that you as a player have in No Man's Sky is very much like any of the uh, Terraria slash Starbound, you know, like you're mining resources, you're crafting, you're surviving, you're building and flying ships around and all this, these things. Imagining the world, the practical realities of an open multiplayer No Man's Sky seems like it would change the experience way more than I think players imagine. In yeah, their people I, would start intentionally congregating, and there'd like, be and there'd be griefing. There'd be all sorts of yeah. shit. You could yeah. be like the, the world where you're having this solemn space experience, and then a journey style player shows up in your world, and then basically starts fucking up your stuff. Would be so just like yeah. devastating. That's why I'm glad the game actually works the way it does. And like I, pl- right. you know. I haven't played this game as much as I'm going to end up playing it, certainly, I suspect. The thing but I have, you know, I've really liked what I've played it so far. I, I, it made me think, the, m- the more that I think about it as this armchair, as shitty armchair designer guy, if there was a multiplayer model that they adopted for No Man's Sky, I think Dark Souls would be the thing that would be yeah. really oh, rad. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're in your own That'd universes, cool. and then you it would feel like, of other yeah, the way people leave notes in the Souls games that... that crossover feels very much like the naming planets and species but then you can sign on to be available to be teleported to someone to help them or sign on for the ability to sort of warp into conflict spaces with players so you you as a player could choose how you want to engage in multiplayer the way you do in souls games feels like that would even just the note part would be yeah. i mean that'd yeah. be a much easier that would be a much yeah. lower well, they've, they've already bar to, the, uh, the way that they have naming of things working feels very similar to the way that notes in true. souls games works yeah but um I think that that style of multi could also potentially allow them to start scraping away at some of the other, um, like, longings people seem to be having when playing this, which is, like, wishing for a higher difficulty contrast or a higher, like, scarcity to bounty contrast on planets. Like, right now, it feels like you, there's no way that you're ever going to just, like, land on the completely devoid of life water planet from Interstellar and just be fucked because they don't it seems like it seems very rare that hello games wants you to land on a planet that actually just is so quote unquote unbalanced that it destroys right. your playthrough but if you had that dark souls style multiplayer where you could like put out a beacon to call people in then i'm sure there would be players in the world who just enjoyed being a no man's sky right. support class basically where you're like i will just answer support beacons sure. and i will just, just coast guard yeah, yeah. i will just yeah be basically <laughs> yeah. no man's sky coast guard like there's interesting stacked things that come into it when you think about yeah. like 
slightly off-axis multiplayer. And I just over the course of this podcast, I accidentally got myself yeah. excited about yeah, I mean, that. Was, that was stuff. actually some of my favorite stuff about DayZ was like that those are like role played support classes. Obviously, the the fiction of that game. Um, Justifies all the terrible things that people do to each other outside of that. Right. Um, but like, you're, you're, when you play Daisy, you expect you're going to be stripped down to your underpants for sure. Yeah, but you know, you also can like use like a ha- custom hashtag on Twitter to call in like a blood bank service that will come give you like a transfusion <laughs> in Daisy. Yeah, you know, um, and which is pretty cool. You know, saying all this stuff, I don't, th- I, I can't ever claim to know right. or think what Hello Games actually wants to make, but like that. The the sort of the the voids left in No Man's Sky are such a tempting possibility space for one's brain. I mean, as a on a totally different track, just as a thought experiment, discarding the multiplayer stuff entirely. This conversation has made me think about how No Man's Sky would have been received by individual players in a different era. Like, let's say a game like this had come out. Well, because games like this kind of did come out. You know, if you look at games like Elite. You know, the, this game comes from a, an old lineage. It of feels games like it has a little bit of privateer for, in it too. Yeah, totally. And if if imagine this game coming out in a world that let's say it's not even in the past, but just in a different world where social media doesn't have the sort of ubiquity that it that it has now for for people online on the internet, for people on the internet, because a lot of what has created misconceptions around this game and sort of fed assumptions and hype is you know people working themselves up because of you know like the way the hype cycle works in an instantaneous feedback um communication medium if this was the kind of game that you guys i don't know if you guys had experience like this i certainly did growing growing up as a pc gamer where you'd get some game that like your friend would clue you into and you you didn't have any way to just instantly learn everything about it so you would sort yeah. of poke away at it and you're like whoa what is this like there were no opinion camps yeah you, didn't, were, you didn't get a game and know that like some people like this game and some people are really not mad only about that this but game. there also weren't just like you didn't just already know all the information before you even loaded up like the first time I, I loaded up no man's sky and I started playing I actually did it on a stream so I kind of I, I made I put myself even farther away from this mentality. Although I will say the people who were on my stream were not doing the thing that sometimes happens on streams, where they were just like walking you through every single step of everything, um, which can also be fun for different reasons. But like, but even playing it on the stream made me imagine an alternate reality in which I was playing it, and I, I literally didn't know anything, which was kind of true. Like I didn't know how much of this game, especially in the early game, is based on like mining stuff. I can imagine a version of myself playing this game where I didn't already know everything about it. And I'm like, oh, I guess I have to mine these things. Like, whoa, there's this whole other area here. Oh, shit, I can get off the planet? Like, oh, fuck. You know, because yeah. a lot of games start with a with a crash of some kind and the expect and don't necessarily end up with you flying back into space. Like, the crashed spaceship is just the framing device for now yep. you're stranded on a planet. Like, Pikmin. And Pikmin, for instance. Yeah. Pikmin. Exactly. You do eventually uh, escape. That's true. But it's That's the, true. And then No Man's Sky shows, but Nintendo did it first. <laughs> and you are actually, if, if you could see yourself in No Man's Sky, you'd be Olimar. That's, true. <laughs> That's what he should have said, Colbert. <laughs> when another person describes you as a small, bulbous, with a little mustachioed, like, mustachioed <laughs> guy who can't really see, with a little like little dangle coming out of his head. Um, but like, but you know, just imagine the version of this game where you are like, just as the player realizing, oh my god, I can get into space. Oh my god, there's I can go into light speed. Like, oh, there's like s- right. s- uh, space stations. Like, this is crazy. Right. Instead, I, of being, I have strong nostalgia of for those years. Yeah, this, this, yeah. Is, this is a dumb example because it's 
it's an adventure game, and it's one of the first ones that I really got into. It is it is Monkey Island Two, which I've talked about a ton on this podcast. But that yeah, that, that game was introduced to me by a friend in elementary school who said, "You have to play this game. It's like you are playing a cartoon." And I was like, "What does that even mean?" <laughs> yeah. And then I installed uh, a pirated copy of Monkey Two because I copied all of his floppy disks. And uh, that game, your character just walks on screen in the middle of a pirate town, and then. When you try to walk off of the screen you walked in on, you get beat up and all of your stuff is stolen. So I was just like, I guess in this game I can't leave this town. So I spent like hours wandering around this five screen town meeting everyone and being really happy about it. And then when I realized you could walk off the screen and there was like 30 times more game than I had experienced, my mind was absolutely blown because I had no context for what an adventure game was right. really. Yeah. I mean, I had played some King's Quest games, but those uh-huh. games felt completely different sure. to this because they pretend to be simulations, whereas this was just like a pirate mm-hmm. joke simulator uh anyway that's like you know and then i was i was sad that there was no multiplayer once i walked off that screen right <laughs> so ah man related to this kind of i um this is this is a weird snaking route but like so both of you guys i know are uh like uh familiar with john dickerson who is a um, oh, i love john dickerson yeah he's the host of cbs's political show face the nation and uh, he does a podcast called Whistle Stop, which is about campaign, uh, historical American presidential campaign stories. And it's really, really good. And um, Jake and I last week went to a live taping of uh, the Whistle Stop podcast here in San Francisco. Sean, sadly, you're out of town, could not join us. I know, but I would have been there. But um, but and I, I actually mentioned I mentioned it in the Idle Thumbs newsletter the one that went out by the way if you're not a subscriber to the idle thumbs newsletter you can subscribe at the foot of any page at idlethumbs.net and i just had a little section on there where i said some interesting stuff that i've come across recently and that was one of them and the reason i'm bringing this up is because there in addition to the whistle stop podcast um and the political gab fest which is he he's also on john dickerson has a very small podcast called uh called um Uh, Face the Nation Diary. It's like a five to ten minute podcast that's just like his political thoughts going through his head that he just keeps up on related to hosting the show Face the Nation. And I heard John Dickerson on um, a Slate podcast called The Gist hosted by this guy Mike Pesca. And he was talking about his process. This is a sneaking. Path. I know. I'm sorry. Jesus. Yeah, we're three pods deep. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fourth, if you count this one, <laughs> I, I, can, I can edit this out, out if it doesn't. It's end fine. Up no, we're, not, we're, we're here. I'm with and, you, Chris. And we're Dickerson all was talking about his process, and and Pesco was like, "Why do you do these? Like, you're on the political gap fest. You do the whistle stop podcast. You also host this show, and you have the uh, this like, that why do you need cast, the yeah. diary show? Why like you have all these other places?" And Dickerson was like, "Well, you know." I, I write pieces and I'm on these podcasts, but like sometimes what happens is I have to write the piece to find out what I think about something. And then I can go on this like little face, the nation diary. And now I can explain what I think. And sometimes it goes the other way around. Sometimes you go, he goes on the diary and sort of like muses about something and then realizes, okay, here's the angle and then writes a story or then brings it up on, on the political guy. Sort of, but the idea of saying he has to like write something in order to figure out what he thinks was just a very fascinating. He just threw off that phrase. It, it wasn't like a manifesto right. or anything, but it's been stuck in my mind for like a week now. And I've been thinking about that notion, especially with respect to the way games are sort of instantaneously received on social media. The, we definitely, li- I mean, some people obviously now just aren't on social media and that's, that's great. But I mean, 
for for the, for those of us who are, I'm definitely on Twitter all the time. Um, there definitely is like an ambient pressure that I think you're not even conscious of most of the time to instantly have an opinion. Like you, there's no there's no like expectation that anyone will take any time to formulated opinion right so even a game like no man's sky which is this weird amorphous huge sprawling thing where it's like oh you kind of like the whole point of this game is that you basically <laughs> marinate in it and like have this long-term so saltair experience but like instantly within a day of it coming out it's like is this game a huge disappointment is it actually like the savior of games is it this is it that is chris that? there's a huge game coming out it's actually a galaxy that maybe rivals the known universe for size also Nobody is entirely sure what you do in it or what the game contains. What do you think about it? Yeah, <laughs> right. And I don't mean to like I by saying that, I obviously I, it sounds kind of shitty because it sounds like I'm saying oh people shouldn't just like form opinions about stuff and that, obviously that's not true. I form quick opinions all the time, but I just hearing that thing like having to figure out what you think, usually we interpret the notion of what we think as being the knee jerk. And then maybe there's like some deeper sort of what is like the considered opinion that goes beyond that, or what is the deeper truth that goes beyond that. But the idea of having to like stop and go through a process, even to figure out what your own initial opinion is, was something that I, I just really struck me. And it's I, the, I, I feel like just like the basic structure of a sort of 24 seven media society just don't want that process to exist. Like the, that right. context does not want that process to exist. And it's just worth thinking about that. You know, yeah. I, I don't well, know. It's I, like totally conflates reaction with having an opinion. Right. Exactly. Like having yeah. a reaction is the same as having an opinion. Right. Where I think exactly. the Dickerson process very clearly delineates between those two things. Yes. Like exactly. We're very reactive as a society. That's yeah. why there's like outrage culture. Right. It's all just like, I get struck and then I instantly strike back because with whatever like counter emotion or counterfactual or whatever. Right. And the challenging thing is in a lot of cases, like there are really significant political structures in place that make it like important that outrage is sometimes expressed. Like, Our entire government you know, oper to, apparatus is built to not be reactive. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Well, like, that's also true. Yeah. Like, so like, that's, that's operating at the exact right. opposite level of momentum as, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I think that's probably pretty good, right? Some, like, it's well, probably good that like, good. you know, it can also be very bad. Sure. I mean, you know, like I, there are nuances to it, but it's, it's good that the most powerful body in the history of the earth can't just get mad and react to something. It has to actually do a, go through a process. You know, that I, I agree with you in theory, except that a lot of the things that end up being reactive are the, are the bad. Like, you know, there are certain like unilateral, like political actions that can happen that are reactive. And, right, yeah, you yeah. know, there's like a lot of military. Well, I think that's when we're at our worst. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. whatever. We're getting way off a field here. But just, I don't know. The, the No Man's Sky thing has been a, a very, a case where it feels like this game has been launched into an environment where there's almost no version of the game that probably would have not resulted in this happening, which isn't to say that I am like endorsing the game or condemning yeah. the game in either. Like I don't even I don't even know how I feel about it at this point. Same. Although I although I'm I'm I do think I I do think I like it. Um, but uh, uh, totally aside from my own opinion about it, yeah. just watching the way the internet has like churned through it, it just feels like, well, I guess this is just what ha this is just what happens now. This is just how this a game like this is inevitably received, kind of no matter the content of it. 
It'll be interesting to see what this game looks like in a year. Uh, yeah, totally. Because they, two. I mean, yeah, because they're patching of, this thing like mad. And yeah. in terms of our opinions about it, what, too, yeah, what even it, if it doesn't grow to be, where does it land? Like it in in audiences' opinions, where does it land yeah. as far as how Hello Games deals with, like how live a product is it? I guess, right. etc. Yeah. No Man's well. Sky two. You guys want to do some reader mail here? I love reader mail. Everyone. I does. didn't answer your question though. I don't care. I will take that as a as No Man's Sky is a good name. No Man's Sky is a, is a good name. Good, it's name. good name. Yeah. Good yeah. name. Good name. Strong name. Oh, I never got to say, oh man, guys, it's No Man's Sky this week, which I w- was going to, and I did. Well, that, <laughs> that sentence was instantly untrue. No, that's true. All right. Desiree Campbell writes, on the subject of games acknowledging your failure, in my youth I came across a rule variant for pen and paper RPGs where, quote, canonically, your character would only perform an action if it was successful. Um, in case any listeners aren't well-versed in pen and paper uh, RPGs, the gameplay is that the player announces the, his character's intent to perform an action and then rolls a die to determine how the character performed that action. Anyway, with this specific house rule, your character would only take action if successful. For example, Captain Kirk wants to wrestle the gun from the hand of his Klingon captor, so the player rolls a die as usual. If he rolls well, Kirk lunges at the Klingon and gains the upper hand. If rolling poorly, the action described would be something like Kirk eyes the weapon in the guard's hand but knows his strength is no match for the Klingons and the player needs to try something else. The rule variant was an attempt to emulate the feeling of action films and pulp serials where the heroes never just get shot by goons or fall off a cliff. The game master would have more control of how the action plays out and players would feel safer trying new actions and forced to be more inventive. P.S. I didn't think of it then, but thinking about it now, this rule variant reminds me more of adventure games. Minimize game-ending failure by allowing for consequence-free efforts. Keep casting those pods, Desiree from Toronto, Canada. Yeah, that's I cool. Like that. That's an ad- I've not come across that. I, I mean, was that DMing put- quite a lot last year. Um, huh? What were you DMing? Dungeons and Dragons. Really? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I did like a. I did a bunch with uh, Ollie and some other people mm-hmm. and Adam, and uh, it was funny about how much having made adventure games. Uh, at Telltale and then also working on Firewatch really like prepared me f- for that job in that in, in exactly or like the what if speaking. support of weird outcomes yeah but I, because I always just wanted them to have fun and for conflicts to be interesting I th- found that there was a way to adopt that that same ideal or that same like like um like ethic I guess or whatever mm-hmm. of wanting things to go a certain way and make being able to create this sort of situation she's she's describing while also letting them roll ones you know like lunge for the gun and then stumble and hit their face and yada 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 and i found that like the improvisational aspect of that ended up making the possibility space of their encounters like really big it meant that i couldn't come to the like any campaign with too much structure i had to leave myself some like trap doors where it's like okay we're in this cave but three failures in a row by these people like three ones means that one of them falls in a well that i just discovered in my brain you know what i mean so now the space of the world is bigger and like what does it mean now one's in a well and how does the fight go differently or whatever they're in sure and um that's that part of that entire process was like the most fun which is like how can i just keep making them fail forward as opposed to like die as opposed to just like oh try again yeah like nobody ever died in the like six campaigns that we ran um but they were severely inconvenienced Mm -hmm. by all manner of creature (laughs) it was really fun man side note yeah um uh 
I'm not going to say who it is, but I have a friend who has been running a D&D, you guys know who this is, has run a D&D campaign for over a decade and has built their own custom rule set that is all based on performance. So your roles, you actually have to like do a thing at the table <laughs> to like, and that is then judged by the DM. Like tell a joke, play a song. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Draw a picture, whatever, to like <laughs> conjure your thing. And uh, it's very cool. Because all of the the rule set's been honed with this group for so long that the people who play, um, so it plays to their abilities. Yeah, exactly right. That's really exciting. I think that's cool. That's cool. All right. So Josh writes, "Hey there, I've been playing RimWorld as a result of Chris's streams and chat on the show. The other night, I was playing and got a message: a woman was fleeing some pirates. I could help and fight or or ignore it. I hovered over the ignore button. When I saw she was a medieval lord, which means she can do neither smart nor dumb labor." I fucking hate those people in this game. What is that? What do you mean those people? In this Lords. game, people who can't do d- dumb labor like literally won't like haul things from point A to point B, which is so annoying. Like when you're, because like, they're like, run. I'm too high bred yeah. to, to pick yeah. up and then they're this like, garbage. The people who would do that are taking my jobs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> fucking assholes. <laughs> fucking lords. Got some immigrant lords coming in here, taking up all our labor. You don't want to carry that. You just said you wouldn't carry that through over there. Yeah, but now he's going to yeah, do it. I, I couldn't. Now my choice not to is meaningless because someone else is already doing it. This is tyranny. <laughs> Go on. Uh, when they all so they all pop into my map, I get mo- Oh wait, no. Okay, sorry. So I hover on the ignore button. Saw she's a medieval lord. That's when I saw the last line. She was the wife of one of my original colonists. I guess I have to save her. When they all pop into my map, I get multiple relationship alerts. She is my colonist wife, but she's also running from her own son, my colonist's stepson, the leader of the pirates. The fight goes perfectly. Oh, this is the Game of Thrones variant of the game. (laughs) But now for two seasons, I have a distraught mother. She wanders around in dazes, refusing to do anything. Um... (laughs) <laughs> which isn't very different from when she's sane, refusing to do almost anything anyway. Um, I saved her out of love, but I wonder if my colonist had been trying to get away from his abusive medieval lord of a wife and evil stepson for years. The game can be weird. Josh. RimWorld seems like it is basically, you could write whole seasons of Game of Thrones by just running RimWorld Sims, it seems like. Maybe not specifically. Um, you could write seasons of something. I mean, they're yeah. not all about lords and shit. No. But, yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Um, this is going to keep it very short because you've talked about this a lot on the cast, mm-hmm. I presume. I have not listened to the cast nor played this game. Is it easier to get into than something like Crusader Kings? But that was a Crusader Kings story. I, w- I would say it is, yes. Okay. Well, I mean, they're different. They're, they're pretty different. Crusader Kings is like ticks along in a way that RimWorld doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, RimWorld is but, more like Dwarf Fortress but with art and a UI. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, RimWorld is, yeah, exactly. RimWorld is like a an approachable graphically like complete dwarf fortress okay yeah but, but it, it has all the crazy it, it generates come to familial it relationships and stuff yeah i mean i did without um, any sort of like literacy of these type of I, games. I mean i haven't played dwarf fortress so i essentially can't i mean i play a lot of like builder games and economic management games and that helps a little bit but like yeah. not my understanding of dwarf fortress is like the average person's understanding of eve so like yeah, that's fine. I didn't know. I okay, I mean, I only cool. all I knew about Dwarf Fortress is the stories people tell about it, but I had had no firsthand experience. Um, yeah, I mean, I there there are a couple like weird there there are a lot of fiddly UI things that um, I definitely learned thanks to people on my stream. Mm. But a lot of those are things that you could 
you could you would just sort of do badly for a while and then eventually notice and be like, oh, I can tweak this thing as opposed to things that are going to stop you from like fundamentally playing the game. Right. It's just like a lot of these games, you'll probably fail you, your first colony because you just literally have no idea what you're even building towards. But that's just how, I mean, right. that's how all these games are. You should go back, Sean, and anyone else who has not listened to last week's RimWorld story about the character who made a chair that turned out to be a piece oh, of yeah. art depicting Nick, Bref- Nick Brecken barfing. Uh, very good. <laughs> it's okay. Unre- like, it is a thing that it, the, those experiences in games like this are I just understand. irreplaceable. Yeah, a character was tasked to make a chair, and then the game declared that the chair was a piece of art, and all art has descriptions of what it is. Oh. <laughs> was the description... Nick Brecken barfing. Who, was, can, who concocted those words? Nick Brecken was the name of a previous character in the game who had died. No, no, he was still alive. Oh, okay. Nick Brecken was just... Chris named an NPC Nick Brecken. Okay. And then the, and then the game rolled a paragraph describing the art of this chair. So there's like a... The game just like assembles like sentences. Right. Okay, that's yes. intimidating. Okay. That's it just does, that just happened I randomly. Just, I mean, this mean that as a design person. Yeah, it's totally... Right. Yeah. It's well, terrifying okay. the number of things... It wasn't like a person typed... Another player typed that in and I got, I, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, was, the game just decided that this piece of chair was a work of art and had like a fresco in it of Nick barfing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, was, I don't understand by the way, what video the, games are. On my most recent RimWorld stream, a thing that ended up happening was I captured a um, a pirate from a raiding, you know, a raiding party and uh, she was like 89% resistance to recruiting to my colony. So it's like, it's this is resistant. not happening. I mean, I've spent ages trying to trying to recruit people at you know at that level, and it just doesn't. It, it either takes forever, or just you know eventually you give up, or they escape, or whatever. And chat ended up getting you know. There's this new feature on Twitch called um, Cheers, which are these little like bits. I mean, I think they basically cost like a cent or less per one of them. They're, they're like these dirt cheap little like unit of currency that you can buy in bulk and then like used to essentially tip the Twitch channel in real time. Mm-hmm. If it's like, oh shit, like the streamer did an amazing thing. Like I appreciate that. Like here's some bits, here's some So it's people can actually now throw money at the screen like memes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and there's a little animated like, like thing that, that happens in the chat, uh, a little icon. And two members of chat on the last stream, they <laughs> got in basically a bidding war to convince me to to amputate this prisoner's leg and replace it with a peg leg. Uh, and then they got in a bidding war about whether it should be the right leg or the left leg. And eventually this happened, but before I could stop, like the, f- so this, in these games, you, um, you don't, de- you can force people's priorities and tell them like, okay, you need to prioritize this one task right now. But generally speaking, you just like say a task has to be done. And then a person who is like, generally tasked with that thing will like one of the people who has that general category of task will just on their own time decide to do it as their priorities dictate right you're like, like the ea producer versus the ea project manager exa- yeah exactly i understand yeah and um, before i could stop it my like unexpert before i even noticed what was happening my shittier doctor was like, oh, I'll do it, and just went over and started, like, immediately operating on this person. You got to micromanage these people. My yeah, God. well, yeah. It was fucking disgusting because it was just, like, a minute of just, like, gross squishing and, like, sawing sounds, and then they just fucked up and gave up, and the person, like, almost bled to death, and I had to go back and, like, 
fucking rescue it. This person was under the general anesthetic for like two days, eventually came out of it with a peg leg and an intense hatred of that doctor. It was <laughs> it was fucked up. And it was because literally people were paying me to to do it. Like people were like paying me to cross like a horrible virtual ethical boundary. And you did it. And I totally and did. did it. it. It was a very weird experience that I had in this game. Um now the person's got a functional peg leg. But they're slower now, which means if they try to break out of jail, um, we'll be able to catch them more easily. We? So, you know, my guys, my, my peeps. I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, that's RimWorld for you. Okay, let's see what else do we have here. David Bass. That's RimWorld for you. Yeah. RimWorld, the video game. Uh, <laughs> David Bass writes, I'm sure many people have already sent this to you guys, but I need to make certain you're aware that Nintendo is currently running a poll for what they should name their community Nintendog. Um, and then he... Remember Nintendogs? I do. It's a, I that beagle. Links to a, a Twitter poll. As you might imagine, the name Waluigi is currently in the lead. Great. With Doggy McDogface in a tight second. Nah. Yet Give somehow the biased gaming media is currently campaigning to stop both of these excellent names from becoming a thing. Sounds um, like a good use of their time. <laughs> I mean, this poll is over now, and Waluigi won. So, what were the what were the what was the alternative? Uh, Waluigi, Isabel, Doggy McDogface, and King. I think Waluigi is clearly the strong name. Yeah, for sure. Why are people mad about this? I don't, I don't know. I don't really know. Everyone needs to go into a little room and record a five-minute podcast with John Dickerson and figure <laughs> out why the hell they had the reaction that they did. Formulate their opinion. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, if Doggy McDogface is on the list, you have to make sure that you vote for not that. Because that's any, just, that's just, we're just, we've just been floating. That's secondhand around. memes. Yeah. yeah. So just, I guess memes are by definition secondhand. Garbage tier meme. Yeah. Okay. So. Get your memes out of here and name that dog Waluigi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's our, here's a, a last thing. This is, this is really great. So, um, Sean, you, you, uh, wouldn't be aware of this, but last on last week's podcast, we read an amazing email from someone who went through had a had a you know like a uh, an experience that was that was uh, like a f- sort of big family upheaval in their adolescence, and they got through it in large part with the help of uh, Wakeboarding Unleash featuring Sean Murray demo disc yeah the demo from a cover disc the demo from a cover disc they played this level basically for like just sort of with an intense focus that dis- diverted their kind of depression and frustration yes. in their okay. in their family life into this like diamond polished they were basically like trying to beat their own best times and scores by writing them down on a notepad because it wouldn't save in the demo yeah, and then they were like, "I never yeah. went and bought the real game because I don't think that I could bring myself." Exactly to it. as the creators of that demo disc intended. Yeah. Well, funny you should mention the creators of that demo disc because yes. we got a comment on the YouTube um, version of last week's episode from the Free Range Games um, YouTube account saying. Chris Schultz, who started Shaba and Free Range Games, and a handful of Shaba guys who worked on wakeboarding, who work here at Free Range Games, listened to this after a colleague found your video. We were all touched and happy to hear how wakeboarding helped that reader through their difficult time. And they now want to scrounge up a copy of that game, sign it, and uh, send it to that reader. That's um, thrilling. That yeah, rules. Which is really sort of just touching and wonderful. So that was an, just a sort of an amazing thing that happened um, in the reader mail section of Idle Thumbs. The yeah. glory of the internet. See? Yeah. 
it's See, not it's not all. Just, it's not, not all, all No just, Man's Sky. It's no, not it's all, all hot takes. It's not all Jurassic it's also Park very melodica. Takes. Yeah, it's sometimes it's touching takes, Chris. <laughs> that sounds weird. That does sound very weird. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, that was a cool thing. I was I was really pleased about that. So um, I guess we'll see if we can figure out logistically how to do that. But um, the U.S. mail. Well, certainly the U.S. mail will be involved. Um, yeah. Anyway. That's a, that sounds like a weird beginning of a conspiracy. <laughs> this goes all the way to the top of <laughs> the U.S. The US Postal, Postal Service. <laughs> well, I mean. Postmaster uh, General. What is it? Uh, the Crying of Lot 49. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Idle Book Club, listen to it on Idle Thumbs Network. True. Oh, yeah. Actually, by the time you hear this, we may have already released the latest episode of the Idle Book Club, which is about the short story collection Runaway by Alice Munro. Um, so go ahead and listen to that if you're interested. It's really good. Alice Munro is an amazing author. And next month we're reading uh, What We Talk About When We Talk About Love by Raymond Carver, mm. um, which should be fun. So, Not to be confused with his brother, Foam Carver. Foam Carver, true. <laughs> <laughs> nor Foamy Carruthers. Definitely not to be confused no. with Foamy Carruthers. So yeah, thanks for listening to Idle Thumbs. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider telling a friend or leaving us a rating or review on iTunes. Those are the things that are particularly helpful in spreading the word about this podcast and helping us uh, reach more people. We're also on Twitter at twitter.com slash idlethumbs, on Facebook at facebook.com slash idlethumbs, and you can send us reader mail at questions at idlethumbs.net. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash idlevideos, and all of our podcasts go up in annotated form to that channel, as well as all of the Twitch streams we do at twitch.tv slash idlethumbs. I'm continuing to stream RimWorld, and I also streamed my first hour with No Man's Sky, which was fun. Um, I may stream more of that game. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how my time time shakes out. But uh, yes. Thank you for listening. All that information can be found at idlethumbs.net along with the rest of our shows. Bye. You could go there. Bye. Bye. You buy some billboards for Idle Thumbs. Help grow the audience. Download all the podcasts. Give them to friends on discs. Thumb drives. <laughs>